Good morning, church. I'm going to grab some water. It's been, uh, that thing is going around, that sinus, fluffle, nose thing. Um, but my name is Kendrick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church West Hills, and it is great uh, to be with you guys, to, to be able to come and worship with you, both here in person and those of you online. And this, uh, this week, we're going to continue our, studying of, our study of God's heart and continue to be looking at God's heart. So if you go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11, it's the first minor prophet. So as you open up your books, you're flipping through, you'll hit Ezekiel, then Daniel, then Hosea. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Today we're going to be addressing a common misconception about God's heart. And this is a misconception that's held both in the church and out of the church. And this is important because what you believe really affects and determines the things that you say and how you act and how you feel, right? Determines the things that you do based on what you believe. So we're going to go ahead and, and wrestle with this truth. And this truth that we're going to be wrestling with is something we would all say we know in our minds, but when we go through our life, we'll see that we wrestle with uh, this truth with our hearts. So the, the idea that we're going to be looking at today is that God's heart is different in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Now, we would all say in our heads, oh, no, 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 God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he's all the same. But when we talk about God's heart and we think about the Old Testament, we think about demanding judgment right now. We think about vengeance. We think about justice. We think about turning people into pillars of salt. We think about God, man, slapping the guy down because he's trips while he's carrying the ark and he, he holds it up, right? We think of God in the Old Testament. We think of this like storm cloud of lightning and thunder that's just waiting for you to screw up so he can zap you. But then we think of God in the New Testament and his heart is totally different. There's grace and there's love and there's peace and there's joy and we get this picture of Jesus like skipping through daisies with a lamb strapped to his shoulder that's talking to him and we say oh that's the God of the New Testament. Well there's a problem when we believe this. Right? There's a, a problem with this. Here's the, the, the first problem is one of the things we do is we put our feelings on top of God. So when we look at this problem, God's heart did not change when Jesus came to earth. And as parents, our hearts changed when we had kids, right? We're totally different. Our whole life is different. Your whole life is now divided before Jesus or before kids and after kids. There's like no other segment in your life. And when we look at all of eternity, Jesus or God, divided up all of human time into before his son and after his son. But that's where the similarity stops. Right? That's, that's where it stopped. God's heart did not change when Jesus walked on the earth. The reason he sent Jesus was to show us his heart. Was to show us what it looked like. He, he had his word, and we just weren't getting it. People weren't getting it. So God says, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to be an example for you to follow. He's going to show you my heart. So he sends Jesus so we can see what his heart looks like. Jesus did not change God's heart. Jesus shows us God's heart. But there's even a bigger problem with that, with the the part about uh, God's heart changing. And that's when we as Christians, when we try to act godly 
and we're faced with people that bother us or people that don't like us or we're put in difficult situations, we start asking ourselves, how do I deal with this person? Do I deal with them like the God of the Old Testament or do I deal with them like the God of the New Testament? Right? And we start giving ourselves an excuse or a reason to maybe do something that's not very godly. Right? Because we don't fully understand God's heart. And we would never say that out loud. Right? Because in our brains we know. But in our hearts, we struggle with that. We struggle with, do I act like the cloudy God or the sunny God? And we start wrestling with that. We start asking ourselves, what would be God's desire? What would be the desire of his heart in this situation? We start wrestling. And then I know for me, sometimes it freezes me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. Do any of you fall into that category or is it me all by myself? Now, don't lie to me. I am a pastor and many of you come to me and ask me questions, right? So I know I'm not alone on this, right? I'm not alone on this at all. So today, I want to make your life a little bit easier. I want to try to convince you. I want to show you and I want your heart to understand that God was the same yesterday as he is today as he'll be tomorrow. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of the most descriptive passages of God's heart. We're going to look at one of these passages that describes the desire of God's heart. That the desire of God's heart is to offer grace and reconciliation to all that come to him. And we're going to look at this passage in the Old Testament. Right? This is not something that was new, so why don't you go ahead and, and open up. I already told you to Hosea. I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 11. And this morning we're going to walk through most of this chapter. And just come with me on this journey as we look at what the desire of God's heart was from the very beginning. So I'm going to start, begin with me, we're going to start in verse 1. Scripture says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. And they kept sacrificing to the Baals and and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. Gosh, that is beautiful, right? As we start reading this, and this passage begins with God reminiscing about the early days. In verse 1, he refers to Israel as a a child, and he's remembering the early days of their relationship. And the metaphor of of the Exodus has often been used as the birth of the Israelites. So this is as a baby, as they leave, and he remembers their time in Egypt and how he rescued them from the hands of Pharaoh. He remembers throwing the Red Sea up into two walls and allowing the Israelites to go free or to go across on dry land. He remembers leading them through the wilderness. And God's like, man, those were the cute years. Do you remember that little baby and I held you in my hands and I cared for you? And then God continues. He says this, the more they were called, the more they went away. They began to turn away from him, grumble. They set up idols. They started worshiping other gods. Now God's referring to the teenage years of Israel. Right? And then you know how they were. It was I who taught them to walk, and now they're walking away from me. Right? Can you relate to this? 
And I see all the parents of teenagers are, are nodding their head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not talking about that. Can you relate to the rebellious children that Israel is? Can you relate to how that is in your own lives? How we do our own thing? How we question what God tells us? How we test the limits of God? How we test what he says? Does it really mean this? Does he really want me to do this? If I act like I don't hear him, do I really hear him? And we start playing the teenagers to God. In the book that we're reading, Pastor Orlud, he reminds us that we are factories of fresh resistance to God's love. Man, factories of fresh resistance to God's love. Unfortunately, I think we can all relate to that. We can all think of the resistance and the way we push God and test God. But as we continue in this passage, God does not abandon his children. He does not walk away from them in frustration, become filled with rage and anger. Or or does he go to my own default that I do with my own kids? Or just do it because I said so. Or I just give them the look, right? Just I start to get up and I just give them that little look. And in our family, what that means is like the clouds and lightning and thunder is in your forecast unless you change that behavior. Like this is not going to be a good time for you. But God doesn't do that. As we look at the scripture, God continues to take Israel back to this place, reminding them. Look at this. It says he, he reminded them that he loved them. He said, I loved you, Ephraim. And that's an, another name that's used for Israel. And he, he adopted them, and he taught them to walk, and he held them in his arms, and he healed them, and he bound himself to them with cords of kindness. And he bent down and fed them. Note here that God draws us and leads us, not with force or not with anger or fear, but with kindness, with bands of love. Right? What, a, what a beautiful picture that is of a, a loving and gracious father as he is remembering the days of Israel and their youth. But then in verse 5, we get this, God is, is transitioning out of this remembrance, and we're about to see some tough love in action. Listen to what he says in verse 5, and I'm going to read 5 through 7. God says this, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. Because they have refused to return to me, the sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. Church, one thing we learn from this passage is that love is not the absence of discipline or correction. Right? And Scripture tells us itself, whoever spares the rod and hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Church, there is nowhere in that passage or in that sentence that says child abuse is okay. Right? That, that is not what that sentence is about. Child abuse is never okay under any circumstance. But what the scripture is talking about, it's talking about correction. It's talking about uh, fixing behaviors that will be detrimental to a child when they grow up. If I'm being honest with you, and if you're being honest with me, discipline is hard for parents. It's really hard. How do I do this correctly? It's much easier to just say, hey, just go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Do what you want. Your life's going to be miserable. You're, you're going you're gonna to be in jail in about a day. Just, I'm not going to discipline you. I'm not going to teach you 
anything. But that's not true love. That's not loving people. The truth is, and this is the truth we need to know in life, actions have consequences. There will be judgment for sins. Right? That is not going to be absent. That's, sometimes we think that it's just free. There was a price and a cost to our sins. But the prayer is that discipline will help draw people towards repentance. That correction will draw people towards God. And in this passage we see if Israel will not act like people of God, then they will not be people of God. And this is what this will look like for eternity. You don't want me? You don't want me to be in your life? Well, let me give you a picture of what that looks like. You're not going back to Egypt. That's way too nice. I'm going to have the Assyrians take over. There's going to be massive wars. There's going to be massive destruction. It's going to be a fate far worse than anything the Egyptians gave you. But this is what your eternity is going to look like. They will conquer you. He is done with their games. God says, I'm I'm done playing with you. I'm done with your false faith. I'm done with your selfish relationship with me. In times of trouble, they call out, God, help us. Oh, God, help us. We're turning to you. We love you, God. But in their hearts, they don't even turn towards him. They don't even look for him. How many of us live like this today? How many of us walk that same path that we remember God only when we need something? Right, parents? Man, we are so lucky if I can get just a one-word answer out of my kids about how was your school day. Right, I just want something. Just give me something. They say, fine. And I'm like so excited. But there's no relationship there. But then all of a sudden when they need money, right, when they need a ride somewhere, guess who their best friend is? Hey, Dad. What's going on? How's the football game going? You don't care? Hey, how are you feeling today, Dad? Everything good? Can I get you anything? Can you give me 10 bucks? Can you give me 20 bucks? That makes us feel real appreciated and loved all the time, right? Right, parents? And that's what they are doing to God. But I love this. This is one of my favorite parts in this passage. I love how God responds to the children of Israel. He says this, He shall not raise them up. And when you look at that passage, he's using the third person for he. Right? He, is, he is implying that who they are actually calling out to can't possibly be him. You never came to me before, so obviously you're not addressing me, for he is not a God to be called upon only in time of need. Right? God desires a relationship. So whoever you're calling out to right now, just keep calling out to him. Good luck. See how that works out for you. Right? You're not referring to me. And church... If we're honest in America right now, this is a problem of much of our view of God today. Right? We think of God as like a Santa Claus. We think of God as some magic genie that we just rub when we want something. He pops up. We have lost this idea that God is the God of the universe. Right? He wants a relationship with us. His sole purpose in life is not to give us what we want or serve us. He is the God of the universe. And we have seemed to have forgotten that. It appears that God is showing some human emotion here. Right? He's showing a parent that's at the end of their rope. That he is all done. He's throwing in the towel. He's saying, hey Israel, I'm done with you. Here's the Assyrians. Good luck. Here it comes. Right, we get ready when we read those last few verses. We get ready. We're going to see the God of the Old Testament. 
right? We're going to see the, the destruction. We're going to see the judgment, the hatred, the disappointment. We're going to see the fire come raining down from heaven and the, the double-edged swords. And we're like, hey, you deserve it. You deserve it, Israel. And we're expecting to see all that stuff in the Old Testament. But as we keep reading, we find out it's just the opposite. We find out that that's not God's heart. I want you to pay attention as we read these next few verses. And this is Hosea recording God's word, and we see God's heart in, in, these past, in these verses. God says this, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Edmah? How can I treat you uh, like Zimboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. As we read that passage, we see this imagery of this grieving father who loves his wayward children, even while recognizing that their behavior requires some decisive discipline, some decisive correction. He's grieving. He knows that he needs to do a response. God asks himself, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? Although justice seems to demand it, the tender heart of God looks for another way. He is seeking another way to deal with his children. In the scripture, it says God's heart recoils within him. In the Hebrew language, that word that is used is indicate the act like the, turn, the turning over. It's twisting. It's, it's, it's um, contorting. And God says that his heart is recoiling within him. God's heart is turning from burning anger into the love that he has for his children, into the love that he has for Israel. He is stating that his feeling is so much heartache and pain, but along with his love, he feels that his heart is literally turning over for Israel. It's turning about. These words do not suggest that God is confused or does not know what to do. Rather, they simply express the emotional intensity of God's love and his anxiety in a way, in human terms, that we can understand, in a way that we can appreciate, in a way we can see that that pain that God is going through from our sins. But don't miss that his compassion grows warm and tender during this time. His, his compassion grows towards those that are cold and rigid towards him. How amazing of that is God's love. We think that his love is, is growing. His love is growing stronger and tender towards those that are being rigid towards him. Is that not awesome that the holy God of this universe sees sinful people? And we read in Hosea chapter 11 that instead of wrath, he feels mercy for them as he remembers his love for them. Right? God did not take them out of Egypt because they were some, their special ability or they were super smart or their, I mean, he surely didn't take them out because of their obedience. The only reason that he did it was because he loved them. God did not preserve them through this whole time because they were some awesome models of a godly society. They weren't perfect people, but he saved them for one reason, because he loved them. 
He did it because of who he was, who he is, because he loved him. See, God's love moves him to decide against his righteous anger. He des- he, he, his deserved burning anger against his people. Right? He, he had all the reason in the world to do it. Every, everything his people did, he could have said, I am in the right to make them go away. I am in the right to give them to Assyria and keep them there. But he says, I am God and not a man. I am the Holy One in your midst. And he's implying that he's faithful. He keeps his covenant. Man would give up. Man would give in. Man would be at the end of the rope and they would demand their justice right then. God does not do that. His love is greater and his grace prevails again and again and again to those who come to him. His grace will always prevail. But the judgment did come. Right? Our sins were paid for. God saved them from what they ultimately deserved. And he has and he will save us and save those that come to him. It's called the gospel. Right? This is the gospel. You and I deserve judgment. You and I deserve eternal wrath before a holy God. Yet in his mercy, his heart recoiled, his heart turned within him, his compassion has grown warm and tender, and he has chosen to send his son to die on a cross for our sins. His son was sent to pay the price for us, to endure that just punishment that we deserved, his son did. The holy wrath that we deserve was given to his son in our place so that you and I might know the loving Father, the Holy God. See, this is the heart of God. This was not plan B or C or D, and oh my gosh, my people have gone crazy, I don't know what to do, so he came up with this plan to send his son. This was the the plan from the very, very beginning. This is the heart of God. It always has been, it always will be his heart to offer grace, to offer reconciliation to all of those that come to him. This is and was and is and will continue to be his heart's desire to offer grace and reconciliation. And as we continue in this passage, we see the outcome of this grace and reconciliation. We start in verse 10. They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. This is God's offer of reconciliation, of restoration. It's in the Old Testament. Listen to this promise that he's making to Hosea. Is that the future, God will bring his people back. He'll reconcile his people to him. He'll restore them into relationship with him. In an act of redemption, in an act of reconciliation, an act of restoration that is far greater than the Exodus. He will send Jesus. He has sent Jesus for us today in order to show us grace and reconciliation. And this has been his heart from the very, very beginning to reconcile us, right, to be reconciled with his rebellious children, with us, with you and I and all those who will come to him. His heart's desire is to show us grace and to be reconciled with us. 
Look at Jesus' promises in John. Jesus promises, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is a promise that will be his. This is a promise that his son, Jesus, has reconciled us to him, that he has put us in a right relationship with him. And if we read this, we have to keep in mind that it says all, not most or not some or not those that are good enough, but all who come to me will never be cast out. This is God's heart from the very beginning. This is God's heart from day one to be reconciled with his creation. And there is nothing that we can do to diminish God's love. Nothing we did or nothing that we will do that will ever exceed the grace of God. There's nothing that we will ever do. There's nothing that we will plan to do that will ever make him want to leave or abandon us. His heart is to give us grace. His heart is to restore us and put us back into a right relationship with him. And all we have to do is come to him. So all we have to do is come to him and ask to be forgiven. God's heart offers grace and reconciliation to all who come to him without exception and without expiration. All who come to him, he will give you grace and reconciliation and he will never cast you out. Got it. So, so, so what's that mean for me? How does that affect my life? How does that affect what I do? Well, for the first thing, it's never too late and you're never too bad to come to God in the first place. Right? God's heart is to show you grace and reconciliation. He is waiting for you. And if you've never come to God, if you've never given life to Christ, if you've been afraid to come to Christ because, oh, it's too late or because, oh, you don't know how bad I am, God does, and he said he will never cast you out. God knows who you are. He is waiting for you. Man, you're like, I can't come to God. God will never love somebody like me. Right? There's some of you that are probably watching this saying, I, I, I can't go to church because the minute I step in the doors, God's going to strike me with lightning. I've got friends that's like, I can't go to church, man. I've got to wear like tinfoil on my head because God's going to get me. Here's the truth. He's got a universe. He can get you anywhere he wants. He's not confined to the walls of his buildings. Right? If he wanted you dead, it's done. You're done. You can just relax. But here's the deal. Knowing that God's heart, right, that his heart's desire is to show you grace and to reconcile with you, to make your relationship right with him, between you and God. That is his desire. He's already paid the price. All that stuff that's in between you and God that you think is all the reasons why God can't love you or why God doesn't want to love you, he took his son put him on the cross, and got rid of all of that stuff. Because his heart's desire is to show you grace and to reconcile with you. Right, we just say that that's just repent. We just repent. We turn from what we're doing. We turn from trusting ourselves, and we say, God, I, I love you. I'm going to follow you. And I believe, right? I believe that you have grace, and I believe your grace is enough, and I believe you want to reconcile me, and I want to follow you. So we turn from ourselves, and we start following God. And the sins of those who repent and come to God, they open the floodgates of his heart. They open floodgates of grace that will come and just wash over you and fill you every day. And his mercies will be new every morning. And for those of you who've put your faith in Christ, you've experienced that. You've experienced the grace and the love of mercy. And if you've never done that, 
Why not do it today? If you're not sure if you've done it or not, this is like a big thing. This is like freedom in your life. This is like peace and love that you will never experience. Mark, today is the day that you say, God, I'm going to follow you. And when we close in a few minutes and you pray, just make your desire known to him that you want to follow him. There's no special words. If you need help or if you want somebody to walk with you, we would love to do it. Contact us. You can do it on the connection cards and seats in front of you. You can come up and see me. You can fill it on the online connection card and we will contact you and we will walk through this process. We want to celebrate with you. If you said, I've done it, but God's been putting it on your heart for you to be baptized, for you to make a public profession of following Jesus, let us know. And as a church, we will walk through that process. And again, we want to celebrate with you. And so if you've never come to Jesus and your heart is settled and you know right, that God is the same as yesterday and today and tomorrow and that his desire is to show you grace and to be reconciled with you and you've never gone to Jesus, come to Jesus today. Second, right, maybe this is a different group of people. These are people that are struggling in their walk with Jesus and you're hurting and you're suffering. Something's going on in your life and you're not sure that Jesus can or that Jesus wants someone like you to come to him. They want someone like you to come back to him. You're like, man, I've, I've already walked away several times. I'm not sure that he's going to take me back for the 120 times. Right? Scripture just read in this passage that those are, are bent on turning away from him. And Jesus wants to reconcile. This passage reminds us that God's heart is to offer you that grace and to offer you reconciliation, to restore you to that right relationship. And he is waiting for you to return. Not because of who you are or what you've done or all those little things you're trying to do to make him happy. He is waiting for you to return because his heart's desire is to show you grace and to be reconciled to you because he loves you. That's why he wants to do it. Because he loves you. His heart's desire is to show you grace and to be reconciled back with you. Let me share this quote with you in the book that we're reading as a church. You'll read it in this week coming up as you read chapter 6 and 7. The author wrote this, the guilt and shame of those in Christ is never outstripped by his abounding grace. When we feel as if our thoughts, words, and deeds are diminishing God's grace towards us, those sins and failures are in fact causing it to surge forward all the more. Think about God's grace. It's really easy to fix about all the things that we've screwed up. It's really easy to think about all the things that we're doing wrong. But I want you to stop that and think to God's grace. It is greater than all of those things that you are thinking about. It surges forward all the more in those things. And if that's you, I want you to make it a point this week to get alone with God and your Bible. Take a few minutes each day and just tell him about it. Right? Just get with God. Get in your bed. Get in the corner of your bedroom. Go outside. Just sit down and spend time with God and tell him about it. Tell him what your heart is struggling with. Tell him about your fears, your concerns. Just give it to him. And then take a few minutes and open up your Bible and read about God. Maybe read through Hosea 11 and to see about God's love for you. Maybe you can read some of the Psalms. There's some Psalms that might not be that encouraging to you as people are crying out, but there's some that might be helpful. Psalms 5 or Psalms 23, Psalms 24, maybe Psalms 36 where we see God's love for you. Maybe read through a gospel this week. Read through one of the gospels this week and be reminded of God's heart in the life of Jesus as you read. 
and see the price that God paid to be reconciled with you. And finally, right, there's some of us that are like, no, I'm walking with God. I'm good right now. Right? God's heart of grace and reconciliation should lead you to worship then. So what does your worship look like each day? God's love is beyond our understanding of all that we can do. It's just receive God's love and worship him. Every day, that should be our response. We should respond in praise and in commitment to continue to follow him. Each day, we should begin our day with worship of him, of who he is and his greatness, and we should be restating our desire to follow him. God, you are wonderful. I love you, and my heart's desire is to be with you, is to walk with you. Our love for him should be evident in our words, and our deeds every day. It should be evident in our desire to be like Jesus. That should actually consume our days, trying to be like Jesus. This, this week, we had somebody in our small group, and it was kind of funny. They were talking about how they're constantly wrestling with themselves. And they're always saying, am I doing what I'm doing because it's what I want to do? Or am I doing what I'm doing because it's what God wants me to do? And they were saying this was just a struggle and it was messing with their minds and it was screwing everything up and we all were kind of laughing at them and and kind of making fun of what was going on. But guess what? Right? Guess what? That should be everybody's heart. Right? As we are walking with Jesus, that's what we should all be asking ourselves. Why are we doing this? Are we reflecting God's heart to the people around us, right? When people look at us, do they say, oh yeah, there's a Christian. That's why I think of the Old Testament heart of God with the the stormy clouds and thunder and judgment. Or do they look at us and see, no, 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 that's the heart of God. Their desire to show grace, their desire to reconcile. Are we reflecting God's heart to those around us? Church, can you imagine if this was all of our hearts, if all of our hearts, and I'm just talking about this church right here, I'm not even talking about the big church of all the world, but just this church, Calvary Church, if that was our heart, that we didn't hesitate about how to act, we didn't try to wrestle with, is, is God going to be throwing lightning and bolts at this person and judging them, or is God going to be offering them grace and trying to reconcile the relationship? Right? We would just run to God. We weren't worried about getting the old man who was going to yell at us and judge us that he might not have compassion on us because he's just waiting to yell at us to get off the grass. Right? We weren't afraid of getting struck by lightning, but instead we knew. Right? We didn't only know, but we lived our actual lives like God loved us and that God's heart's desire was to show us grace and to be reconciled with us and be gentle with us even in our brokenness. What if that was our heart's desire? What if our heart's desire was God's heart's desire? Our heart's desire was to offer grace and not judgment to those around us, those who think differently than us, those who look differently than us, those who act differently than us, even those who are bent on turning away from God, those that act like they hate us, those that we can never seem to understand. What if our heart was to show them grace. Our heart was to be reconciled to him, right? What if Jesus was our example? Imagine that, Christians. 
right? We talk about making disciples. How do we do that? We model obedience. So what if Jesus was our example? And we now, as the church, are to be the example to the world around us. That we now, as the church, are to illustrate God's heart to those around us and show them God's true heart. What if we start with our own families? What if we start extending grace and trying to reconcile our own families? What if the church reflected God's heart of grace and reconciliation? How would things be different in our families? How would things be different in our communities? How would things be different in our state? How would things be different in the world if we as the church reflected God's heart? Who would we show grace to right now? Let's dial this down. Who's that person on your heart right now that God says you need to show them grace? Who would that be? Which relationships would your heart desire to reconcile? Which relationships are you facing that you need to reconcile? How would your worship be different if you actually believed that God's desire was to show you grace and to reconcile with you? How would your worship be different each day in your lives? Churches, you go out this week. That is the challenge to you, that we don't just know it, but we live our life knowing that God's, the desire of God's heart is to show grace and to reconcile all those who come to him. Dear Father, we just, we thank you for your heart. We thank you for your consistent heart. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with absolute faith because we know your grace is greater than anything we've done. Lord, we are so grateful that we can come to you knowing that your heart's desire is to reconcile us to you. We don't have to guess if we're good enough. We don't have to guess if the last thing we did was good enough. But, Lord, you have already paid the price. You have already made it possible because your heart's desire from day one was for us to be reconciled to you. Lord, we are so grateful for that. And Lord, we would just pray for our hearts as we go out this week that we would be a reflection of your heart to our families and to our communities and to our world. That people would see you when they see us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's gracious name of Jesus we ask all of these things. Amen.